Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We've got a great show for you this week. Uh, we've been driving lots of interesting things. That includes the Buick Invista, the Mercedes C43, and I spent some time in the Mercedes GLS 580. West Coast editor and senior editor for all things features, and of course, up and down the West Coast, James Riswick went to Goodwood, uh, which sounded like quite an epic trip. And then we'll talk some news. And hey, we're going to spend your money. If you want us to spend your money, uh, literally your money, that's podcast at autoblog.com. With that, James, what's going on? Well, you know, uh, just uh, driving cars, writing about them. It's generally how things work. Yep. Um, yep. It's kind of what we do here, right? Yep. My job is car. Sometimes we talk about cars mm -hmm. on podcasts. There we go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, all right. We have some really interesting stuff coming up for future podcasts. I'll just tease this out. We've got an M3, which I just picked up from our road test editor, Zach Palmer, and our uh, video producer, Amr Sauer. They're doing a shoot. Uh, not with that car, actually. Uh, with the uh, the Maserati MC20. I left my wallet in there. Uh, my wallet probably brought down the value of that car. <laughs> so uh, lots of cool stuff. Going to be on site. Going to be on the podcast. Going to make some videos. All that good stuff. And this week, uh, th there's no really good way to segue from a couple of basically supercars to the Buick Evista, but this is way better than you might expect. I've seen a few of these things on the road. I think it looks great. And the Chevy Trax, which is like its sibling crossover, also is quite attractive and selling quite well. So I can't quite believe I'm saying this, but I really can't wait to get into these GM small crossovers. So mm -hmm. tell me what you think of this Buick. Well, uh, simply put, uh, the Invista is the is like the best, most competitive, and most relevant GM car I think I've ever driven. Wow. Okay. Um, and How those come? two things are important, like in terms of best and competitive. Okay. Well, like Corvette and you know, like a CT5 V Blackwing, you know, like these great things. But relevant is also the key word here, um, because it. It's just so wildly, it's, it's, in a, it's in a very hot, important segment. I could see us doing an eight car comparison and this coming out on top. Okay. And I, I'm not sure it would, but I could see it very easily happening. And I mean, to, to, to your point, it looks great, but a lot of things look great. And, but this look, looks expensive. Um, the the kind of coupe, Design that plays into it, the the details on it, you know, it has a lot of like tasteful piano black stuff going on on the and the exterior, really sleek headlights. I asked my wife, who's you know used to seeing all these cars I drive, um, how much she thought it cost. She said sixty thousand dollars. My neighbor made a point to walk over to me while I was luggage testing the Invista and and because he was so impressed he's not a total car noob uh, he I asked him well how much do you think that costs he said eighty thousand uh, dollars sorry you, you went over uh, it's, the answer is twenty nine thousand seventy bucks so um, okay that that puts it right in the heart of like the Kia Seltos the Honda, the Honda HRV, th things of that nature. Um, it, it's just tremendous value. Now let's talk about that. So compelling design, yes. Uh, space, 
when you look at it, it it has that rakish coupe body, doesn't seem probably not that spacious, but it's actually the length of a Honda CRV. So obviously it's not the height of a CRV, which is why like its overall interior volume is more like a subcompact in, in total and the price as well. Um, but it has a huge back seat and the cargo space is really impressive. So apart from the uh, the Seltos, the Tiguan, or the uh, the Taos, and the Bronco Sport in this segment, the I, I was able to fit more things more easily in the uh, Invista than everything else in the segment. So you actually have practicality here. The other thing is it's quiet. It is a Buick after all. It's a very refined driving experience. This one has the upgraded Watts linkage. Um, rear suspension so I'm not sure what that in, what improvement that makes but in terms of just highway comfort composure um, it I, I drove this to Palm Springs in back it was very comfortable very quiet now let's talk about the engine because this is one of the reasons the price manages to be so low this is really on specs really not that impressive it's a 1.2 liter turbocharged three-cylinder. It produces, let's see here, just to get it right, 137 horsepower. That seems like something that would be popular in France, not here in the United States. The zero to 60 time as uh, tested by Motor Trend is at like 9.6 seconds. That sucks, right? It, it, on paper, not that impressive. Um, however, in actual practice, this does not feel slow in the least. Its specs are kind of similar to a Toyota Corolla Cross or a Hyundai or a Honda HRV. Those legitimately feel slow. This one does not. Here's why. It is turbocharged. So that power comes on at 2500 RPM rather than like way up in the band that making it feel super slow. It has a six-speed automatic transmission. Traditional. It does not have an eight, nine, 10 speed thing that's gonna get lost in its gears that'll make your downshifts and reactions that much slower, which will hamper a car with a smaller engine. It doesn't have a CVT, which will just suck in general, like most of its competitors do. It does not have a DCT, which will have like weird stuttering and just general odd behavior. Those are also found in cars in this segment. This is a really smart application of a, tra of a transmission because despite not having a 10-speed automatic or a CVT, it still gets 30 miles per gallon combined. Terrific. And it does not feel slow. Like you can get up to speed very quickly. It is not loud. It is pleasingly quiet. And what you do here is that kind of like telltale snarl bulldog uh, three-cylinder noise, but it's very muffled. You cannot, you, you really don't notice it. Um, so yes, it's an inexpensive engine, but it's very well disguised by the engineering. And the same thing is the case in the interior. There's lots of hard plastic around, specifically on the doors and on the center console. This is a 20-ish thousand dollar vehicle, but the design hides it very well. It looks good. Um, it has this very nice wraparound uh, tech. Well, it's two screens, but the housing is together. Kia does the same thing. In fact, this car is kind of indicative of a key in that way that it delivers lots of design for not that much money. So 
all in all told, I mean, this was a wildly surprising car for me, as you can kind of tell. I was not expecting to like a Buick and Vista. So um, I wildly impressed with it. Um, it's yet another really interesting entry in the subcompact space. When when you know the first wave of these came in, it was like hard to recommend any of them because they were so underwhelming. But now they all kind of have a like a, a different take, and that kind of makes it a little easier for people to choose amongst them. You're not just picking amongst general boxes, right? Based on price alone, um, you could pick by design or if, you know like a lifestyle choice. This one's you know, definitely non-rotor, but if you want something for outdoor adventuring, you have your Crosstreks and your Bronco Sports. And so uh, really, I, again, I could see this thing winning a, um, a, um, a comparison. I've compared notes with John Snyder. He was on the first drive. He, he agrees. So I, I could see this being an editor's pick and a very high rating from us. It, it's, um, it, it, it's just really, really good. I mean, I had this at the same time as the brand new Toyota Grand Highlander I, Grand Highlander stayed parked. I drove the Invista, even though it's a 29, it's not a very expensive car. Um, just a nice size. Real, really impressed. You know, I, I thought you might say something like this. I was talking to Pras Subramanian, who's the Yahoo Finance Autos reporter, and he was just raving about the Chevy Trax. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean, I guess. And then I looked at basically sort of like the consensus of all the different reviews out there. And a lot of people really like that. As I looked more, a lot of people really like this Buick. So um, it really sounds like GM has gotten the crossover, the small crossover segment right for perhaps the first time ever, really. I mean, it's, I will say this, when's the last time you were truly surprised about a car? You know, it's been a minute for me, frankly, and it sounds like this one, not to do the that's a Buick cliche, but it sounds like it kind of hits you that way. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it GM phones it in a lot. I, I won't lie. There, there are instances like look at a Chevy Equinox kind of phoned in, right? This is like good enough category. This, there's nothing good enough about this Invista. This is like trying hard. Like let's swing for the fences here. Um, this is better than it needs to be. Um, this is to get noticed. This is to make a statement. And uh, and the, everything about the tracks sure looks like that. I mean, you look at the tracks and look at the Trailblazer. Mm -hmm. Like, Trailblazer somehow costs more. Um, but you look at those two and you can kind of see what I'm talking about. Like, the tracks looks like somebody tried. The Trailblazer looks like, eh, this'll work. So, yeah, it... I, I if this is the direction, then great. Yeah, no, I'm I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I'm pretty excited to drive both the Buick and the Chevy version. I'm gonna get into them, I think, this month. It's October already. So I'm I'm excited. You know, I want to mm -hmm. see what everybody's uh, you know, so fired up about. So and to your point, I think it's better than it has to be because they don't usually come this aggressive it's such a low price point you know because these aren't going to be super profitable vehicles i would imagine so it's you know it's impressive yeah i mean you know there are there are some you know, it, it doesn't have all-wheel drive that's probably going to be an issue for some could it's be yeah. curious why it doesn't because under the uh, looking yeah. under the cargo area there's a lot of space under there um i'm surprised they they couldn't fit a an axle sure and given that like 
there, there's enough space down there. I'm surprised you couldn't fit a battery, make this a the hybrid, and given yeah. the low cost of entry, like you could make a hybrid at a reasonable price. Um, so I, I mean that 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 would make it even better, <laughs> really, if they could do that. I mean, um, mid-cycle refresh, right? Yeah, not that GM has hybrids anymore. Yeah, it's not a good like point. they haven't before. I mean, GM's. GM's hybrid system, like no one drove it, unfortunately. I think I'm like one of the only people who drove, one of the only journalists who drove a Malibu hybrid. It was good. Like, yeah. The powertrain was yeah. good. It's it's a non-plug-in Volt powertrain. So it's ba it's kind of like Honda's in that it behaves more like a um, an electric mm -hmm. with the engine re like feeding power to the battery and then the battery going to the the, uh, the motor. Um, but if they could do that, that would be that would be fantastic. So we're we're now uh, now I'm just instead of like how to fix it, I'm like how let's make it better. Yeah, which is always in a which is always a good position. All right, cool. Well, let's uh, shift gears over to we have a couple of Mercedes uh, that we went through. Let's go with the C43 first. That sounds a little more fun than the three row SUV that I drove, but uh, I really like you know what I drove too. But we'll start with you, C43. Well, I would rather drive the Invista, honestly. This the, talking about the most surprising car. This is one of the most dis disappointing cars. Okay, all There's right. The C forty three, one the suspension, not not good, just very rough. There's something go. I'm not, I'm I'm not entirely sure if it's rebound or uh, compression, but one of them is not not right in this car. And I double checked. This is why I was looking at the Monroni to see if it had some sort of fanciful or like the hardcore suspension, it did not. This has the AMG ride control, which is adaptive dampers. And it, it did not have like 30 inch wheels or just 20s. And so it, just driving around town, not pleasant. Just, just a lot of like jiggling you around. Um, and then when you're on a mountain road, so I live in Agoura Hills, California. I am just north of all the, the wonderland of Malibu mountain roads. They're 15 minutes away, so I can go out there. It was not enjoyable to drive on those mountain roads because the damn suspension was just like knocking the, was just jostling me around, jostling the chassis around. That it, it just was not, it was not pleasant or even that quick. And I was in comfort mode. Normally you put the car in Sport Plus and you dial the suspension down to comfort, to balance, and to provide more stability on, you know, mid-corner bumps and the like. Not good enough here. So my question is, if this thing, if this suspension is not uh, appropriate enough or is, is somehow too hardcore for Malibu Canyon roads, where the hell in the United States are you driving this thing? That's a good point. Laguna Seca? I don't know. Sure. Yeah. You live on a racetrack. You live on a racetrack. Yeah. Like, cool. Um, and then you're just living with this thing the rest of the time. So that was like really frustrating. Also, this is the transmission. This has a nine-speed AMG speed shift MCT transmission. Yeah. Totally like stock thing. Every time I've driven it before, you put it in Sport Plus, that sucker, you go into a, you go, you down, uh, you, you break into a corner, it like downshifts exactly the way you would want to. One, two, fires it off. You don't even think about using the paddle. Not here. This, and I'm guessing it's because this is this wacky pants new 
um, full sentence powertrain. This would be your handcrafted AMG two liter inline four turbo with hybrid assist and electric exhaust <gasps> gas turbocharger. There's a lot going on in this thing. And I'm guessing with the hybrid and possibly the, uh, I'm not gonna throw the, the electric gas turbocharger is pretty cool. Um, but the hybrid assist, maybe that's causing the transmission both when driving aggressively and just around town to just just be funky and not not in the right gear a lot. Just driving from the airport, the the um, the initial engage. It seemed like the the car was just in the wrong gear. I don't know if it was starting in second or it just it just was not right to the point that I was sitting in traffic on the four hundred five with the paddle shifters. What? Like I'm not driving, I shouldn't be like Mercedes. I just said, I don't use the paddles on a mountain road in them. And yet now I'm on sitting in traffic with them. So something's, they haven't gotten that system right. Uh, it does have the same uh, four cylinder as the new Mercedes SL 43, which we, uh, our review went up, uh, what day is it? Uh, on Tuesday. Okay. Um, which, Zach was impressed with. This actually has more power. This is 403 horsepower versus 375. I wonder why a, an SL has is the gap here. But I mean, this is for a four-cylinder. It's pretty impressive. You have 400 horsepower from a four-cylinder. That's 100 horsepower a lot. per cylinder. So hey, that actually, you know what? This is another, uh, this is like the, the GR Corolla. I just realized it's yet another car that has 100 horsepower per cylinder. The list is short on that it's like bugatti chiron yeah um <laughs> and like the dodge demon and and now now the c43 so like because of that it should be really cool but that suspension and the transmission just do not it's really disappointing they need they need to uh tweak some things to make it um, more desirable to drive for me than a buick and vista the old Buick Regal GS, the Grand Sport, I believe also had more than 100 horsepower per cylinder. It was one of the most power-dense vehicles that they had ever built at that point. Random trivia question. When? When was this? This is the Regal GS, yep. say, 13 years ago. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're throwing trivia out on this podcast. Let's, let's do some deep cuts here. Um, have you driven the M3 lately? Yeah. Have yeah, you? I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't have a problem with that. Yeah, that that was. I mean, yeah, it's it's a sports it's a sports sedan, so it's on the firm side. But it was not yeah. like out of whack, like like this. I I apart from having to um, run it into a pole to make it look better. Yeah, I would. Um, uh, I would much rather drive that. Yeah, I, I'd rather drive the S four, the Mer okay. the, the Audi S four. Okay which is slower than this, but I, I very much enjoyed that car, even though it's all like six years old or something at this point. But that was a far more composed, coherent car than, than this Mercedes. Um, it's, it's just too hardcore. Yeah. And like people buy AMGs around here in LA just because it's, it's an AMG, mm -hmm. but they're really going to be suffering for that choice uh, yeah. with this. With this. It's uh, it's interesting. I just literally got out of the M3 CS, um, and it's pretty hardcore. And it's been a while since I've driven the you know any sort of C class AMG, and uh, I'm feeling pretty good about my position that I tend to like the M cars more than the AMGs at this like sort of segment, if you will, the C and the E. Like I like the M5, the M4, the M3, 
more than their counterparts at this point. And the M3 has these crazy carbon seats with like carbon, like that basically is like on your sides and between your legs. It's not a comfortable experience, but I still was seemingly more comfortable and ready to drive than it sounds like you were in the C43. So, yeah. so it goes. One one thing I do th one thing I very much like with Mercedes is their drive mode selection capability. Yeah, so that's there good. is the normal comfort sport sport plus, and it's controlled with a little dial on the right, kind of like Porsche and others do. Very, very easy. The the actual display is in the button itself, so you can see what you've changed. But then on the left side, there's this other little kind of knob button deal that allows you to very quickly choose different elements so you can put it in sport plus and then you can put down um you can you can change the uh, suspension individually you can change the stability control you can um change i think the exhaust and then the transmission between dynamic which is the only option and then manual so it's very instead of going into um uh, into a menu, which is really annoying to do that. Usually you have to go like when you change a drive mode, there's a menu and you have to press the button and then the menu comes up and then you have to slide your hand and da, 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 da. then you've driven off the road because you were distracted. This way allows you to very individually fine tune it and it's a great, it's a great way to do it. Um, so uh, rest of the car, eh, that thing, very good. It's interesting. I look at some of our competitors uh, and they, a number of them do a good job of sort of ranking where different cars sit in their segment. Just for, I pull up car and driver just to see what they thought. And I don't totally get how they do this because it's best sports dance like everything. But they have it behind the CT4 uh, V Blackwing, the C63, which again, to me, that's kind of a weird way to do it. Alfa Romeo, M3, and the M4. So I would even discounting a couple of the uh like the dupes if you will like the c63 and the m4 looks like at best it's fourth in the segment which um you know hey that's their take but i don't disagree with it based on what you're saying i would well, i think yeah, i'd take the, Cadillac. Is the previous generation they don't the, yeah, the, yeah good this point. is the highest thing at the moment yeah. um so they're going to make something harder core than this Oh, okay. This is going to be a pile of rocks with some you wheels get on it. Chiropracting coupons yeah. to go with it. Um, cool. All right. Well, let's briefly touch on uh, the Mercedes GLS 580. Uh, that's what I drove. Assembled in Vance, Alabama, Tuscaloosa, not far from uh, I, what's in Tuscaloosa. I think the University of Alabama is there. That sounds right. Maybe Roll Tide. Um, I thought this was a good value for $124,260. Seemed like a decent value to me, which, and here's why I say that. I feel like $100,000 is like the new $80,000, especially for SUVs, factoring in inflation and like, you know, content and all the different things you could get. And it was a very nice interior. You know, you get all the power you might want. You know, this is the four liter bi-turbo V8, 510 horsepower. It is the mild hybrid system, if you will. So that's okay. And it was like a very, like when I look at other things, I would consider this against like an X7. I think I liked it more than the X7. It's uh, it's just like, um, it does a good job, I think, of translating that like Mercedes feel 
to a three row crossover, you know, and I don't think Mercedes is ever going to outside of, say, the G class build like a real big truck navigator Escalade competitor. So this is as big as it gets. And to use a cliche, like, is it like the S class of an SUV? I don't I don't know if I buy into all that crap, but it definitely is, I think, a very solid top of the line, you know, three row crossover for them. And I liked it. I, uh, you know, I put a fair amount of miles on it. It uh, was a beautiful shade of shade of emerald green metallic, which at first you didn't notice it. But then when the sun would come out, like that's when the neighbors would be like, hey, wait, what's that? What's that Mercedes you have? Um, so I think that's kind of a good sign when people are noticing what otherwise could be like a, a dour, doer car, you know, crossover. And it definitely affects that kind of like, you know, ritzy feel at that point. Um you know, again, all the stuff you'd normally expect from like a Mercedes, you know, wood, leather, all that good stuff inside, wood grain, I should say. Um, had the AMG wheels on it. That was nice. 22 inches. Um, that definitely added uh, uh, something to it. Um, I liked it, though. Overall, I think um, with the seats down, you get a lot of room in the back. With that third row up, you actually don't have much room. We were doing a a Kroger pickup for those of you in the Midwest. And um, the guy was bringing out our food because we order like the same thing like every week for like shopping. So you just wash, rinse, repeat and just drive by there and they bring out your stuff. We had like one, I think, camping chair back there, two camping chairs after going to soccer, which frankly for a GLS, that's a pretty good weekend of what you should be testing it, if you will, is like sort of family things. And we couldn't get all the groceries. So I had to like move some stuff around. So that's something that it's been a while since I've been in a three-row SUV that didn't seem to have a really good-sized cargo hold. Uh, kind of reminds me of like the old Tahoes uh, back in the day that were gargantuan freighters. But then you'd have that third row up and you're like, oh, it's kind of tight back here. Um, so overall, I liked it. I think it's, uh, it's definitely one of the better things in the segment. Uh, I think I was always a little skeptical when Mercedes was like, okay, we're going to really round out our... SUV lineup. We're going to add this GLS thing, um, but I think it's I think it's solid. I think it's um, again, like I said, a decent value, and uh, you know, great around town driver. You know, as you would expect a large, expensive crossover to be. You can see out of it really well. Steering is light as in the, as you would find in that segment, but still good. Uh, and yeah, I mean, who doesn't like a four liter V8, right? I mean, yeah, it's a twin turbo, but still, you know, I think it's, uh, it didn't sound like flatulent or anything like sometimes this engine can in different cars and, um, solid. And I, I think also the aromatic air suspension is always a nice feature you can get. Uh, I believe it's standard on this thing as you would expect. Um, yeah, I don't know. I liked it. Have you driven a GLS lately? Oh no! Uh, I'm just the last time I drove a GLS was in like June of 2020. Uh, I, I had the I had the a different AMG world. One. Okay. Yeah, I had the AMG one. Uh, to follow up your cargo comment, as you you have Mr. Luggage Test on the show. Yes, this week, that's right. Uh, it's actually better than. Let's see. Every. Um, it's very good, actually, for the segment. Okay. Um, which is not saying much. <laughs> but in terms of luxury mid-size SUVs, um, 
Luxury three row SUV. Yeah, like the XC90 is a little better, but that's like, that's a significantly cheaper. So this is the best thing that I've, I've tested in that. Like a Grand Wagon, like those full size, like a Grand Wagoneer Escalade, they would be better. But it's it's actually for a three row. It's not it's not that bad. It's, you you could fit four suitcases back there. Mister Luggage Test. I need to definitely modify my intro, your walk up, if you will, <laughs> when we get you onto the podcast. Forget senior editor for West Coast things and reviews and features. No, no, Mister Luggage Test. That's what oh, we're gonna do. I mean, you know, I, it's funny. I, I started them. Um, I, I get like more unsolicited email about them than mm -hmm. anything else. Usually like people who enjoy them, which is always yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, actually, it's the only unsolicited email I get. That's about, good. Like, especially in, in the positive. Anyway, I, I have the car. I have the luggage. Let's have an easy post to get up there. Yeah. And as it turns out, I was learning a lot of stuff. Because, you know, we all see like these these cargo area numbers, these cubic feet. This has 20 cubic feet. This has 17 cubic feet. Well, not all of them are created equal. Not every car company measures the same way. There are big differences like volume is best like if you is best measured with like ping pong, I'm not filling up a cargo area with ping pong balls, right? right? You're going to fill with actual stuff. So the shape can also come into play. So there's some that just have like a lot of wasted space because of sloped uh, cargo areas. The cubic feet, you can't really compare, as I've discovered, like a trunk with a hatchback or with an SUV. Like sometimes they just don't, they, they're not similar. There's a lot of wasted space up high, for instance. So it's it's been it's been interesting to do it. I found myself unfortunately like the expert on cargo, which it's not something I wanted. Um, but you know, like you do it enough, and now we have like this really huge database of like all of these cars. So if you want to know the actual cargo difference between like how much stuff you can fit in a Kia Sportage versus a Honda CRV or a Ford Bronco Sport and a Kia Seltos. Well, yep, you can you can see it. Um, so it's it's proven to be a nice little thing. So I think that's a sidetrack. No, no, I think people would like to know what kind of luggage do you use? I mean you can see in the pictures, but any particular reason it's your luggage, right? This isn't well, like No, it's just it's just the it's the stuff I've collected over yeah. the years, right? It's just stuff that I've I've purchase i think i got yeah like one was like my original suitcase i was given to like by my parents like yeah. just for some like for a christmas gift um and then another one i purchased and the other one one is like the fancy bag i use mm -hmm. which i kind of regret because it's it's kind of a stupid size and a lot of times like a similarly sized duffel bag well would i know would fit but this mm -hmm. dumb thing doesn't it's i just grabbed it yeah. And so once once you're down the river, there's no going back. You have to use the same things every time. So it's my my wife's bag she bought from travel um, uh, travel TV show personality Samantha Brown's hmm. QVC line. Okay, all right. So that's what the fancy bag is, folks. Got it. Behind the scenes, it's it's right. a little duffel bag has a roller on it, and then I add some other stuff too. 
But, uh, we get so more emails on luggage tests and cup holder tests than really anything else we do. Like, oh, really? Pe- Does yeah. John get some for the cup holder? John ones gets too? some cup Great. holder fan mail. I, I honestly can't believe it. I get emails. A couple mm-hmm. companies have literally reached out to us saying, hey, we have this new, usually it's like a crossover. You wouldn't believe how many cup holders it has. Can we get you the car? And we're like, sure. Okay. Um, they're like, we don't even care if you do a review on it, do the cup holder test. And I'm like, are you uh-huh. serious? But sure. Well, All right. You know, and I, well, I got the Grand Highlander two luggage test. That's why I there had, you go. that's why I didn't feel too bad about only, only driving it at a limit, limited amount. Cause I just, I need to, to, to do it. And you know, people like reading them. So the honesty, yeah, the, the cup holder test would be the luggage test sequel. I, mm-hmm. John did it a couple of times. Like, this is your new thing. We need to do this more. People will, people will like them. <laughs> so tell me I'm wrong. I bet you a luggage test and a cup holder test is more relevant to most people than a track test. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, yep. do, you need, do you need to know how fast we drove the something something at nine tenths at Monticello on a misty morning? You probably don't because you're not going to do that, even if it is the M3 CS. Okay, maybe with that you might. But I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, well, it is. It's 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 like the habitual, like the same test performed to everything. Mm-hmm. So, and whether that is this or like driving everything around the Top Gear track, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think that's interesting too because that track's not very hardcore. It's like a figure eight around yeah. a, around a, an airstrip. It's an old airfield, um, right? Right, but you 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 do everything there, and in the process of that, you do learn certain things. It'll, you learn things about a car just driving in a circle on a skid pad. So, you know, just applying the same test to everything, I think is always very interesting, especially when you have some oddball things. So whether it's putting a minivan on a track or me doing a luggage test on a Corvette, it's still, you know, they're, I think they're always, um, there's, there's a reason people like them. One of the interesting things I think about the pandemic is for you, it's always been the same way. But, you know, I've, I've noticed this sort of like post pandemic is I don't get in a car and just drive it like I've been like lobotomized anymore. It's like every car I get in, even if it's just to drop some like my kid off at school or something, it's like, hey, you can learn something from that. To your point, whether it's, hey, I didn't know that's how I could use the infotainment system or, hey, Oh, I can adjust the seat this way. Or, hey, look, there's a secret cup holder here. And, you know, frankly, before times, maybe you don't approach it that way. You know, you should, but you don't necessarily just because, you know, it's it's the job. It's the commute, you know, and certain cars, maybe there weren't really a, you know, dire assignment that we had to get in on. So uh, that's kind of how I do it. Like, I learned things about the M3 just driving it. I thought it was more complicated than in some ways than the MC20. The MC20 is straight ahead. You can twist a knob to change the settings of the car. There's an infotainment system that is Stellantis. If you've ever driven anything, this is what it is. And you've got a steering wheel and some gauges in front of you. And that's that's about it. The M3, you can do anything you want to that car, any sorts of levels. And I literally, I noticed this on my 10-minute drive in the Maserati and then 10-minute drive back in the M3 when we swapped these cars at a video shoot. So to your point, yeah. You know, I think, you know, the simplicity going back to the Invista, I think that's another part of its appeal. Mm, so, okay. 
you know, yes, it's inexpensive and that's part of the reason it's simple, but like a lot of the stuff that gets slathered on cars, like you don't need it. It just mm -hmm. adds complexity. Most yeah. people don't care. They're never going to use it. Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to be afraid for some reason to press that button as if it's going to launch them into space. Mm -hmm. You know, the, like it has, doesn't have a, like a, a weirdo shifter for the sake of being a weirdo shifter. Mm -hmm. The, the touch screen, it's kind of like the, the, I'd say like, it's GM has like two Android based Android auto uh, or Android automotive operating system systems, so to speak. There's like the high function one and this is like the lower function one and it works fine. It's very, it's very clean, looks great, simple, very easy to use. The gauges don't do anything fancy, but they look fancy and that's nice. Um, graphics don't cost a lot. Once you do them once, you just copy and paste and throw them into a car. So, you know, the, uh, nothing weird going on with the standard controls. It's one of the reasons why I've, I've, I often like Kias. You know, yeah. I, I literally own a Nero now, but like the old Nero, I remember getting a plug-in hybrid and the same thing. You get in, normal shifter, nor, like easy to use infotainment system. Everything's where it is. This is not too complicated. Get in and go. Simple. And I, I think people like that. And in the in the entrance, you know, a lot of time, well, let's put a big touch screen in there. Everything will be simple and minimal. It, it won't. It's visually minimal, but now it's complicated. <laughs> You've now complicated everything by trying to minimalize the visual and also minimalize, minimize your cost of spending for buttons and things in, inside the car. Um, so... All right. Simplicity. It's, uh, mm -hmm. I agree. Something that's simple. It doesn't have to be Miata simple, but um, I agree. That's That can be very refreshing when you get in a car like that. So let's run through some news. These two items I thought are kind of interesting. Uh, R8 successor, rumor, it may be electric and it won't be called the R8. That's what we reported. Uh, we've got a pretty wild looking R8-like concept up there. Um We'll see. I mean, this is like an auto car kind of report, which I think is always, you never know. But um, this, uh, I first of all, I'll say this. I think it'd be kind of cool if they would do it just because the R8's always been a car that uh, in some ways I think has really resonated with me. You know, at the dawn of the last of this century, there weren't that many fun hyper supercars. And Audi was like, hey, we're going to make this R8. Check it out. And you had that gated shifter. It looked like a spaceship. They were just crushing everybody in ALMS and level mall races in Europe, diesel power, TDI, you know, throw the, the bingo card at you. And this car, I thought, kind of exemplified all of that, embodied all of that. So the fact that, you know, they put it on a retirement lap, uh, Joel Stocksdale, our news editor, got to drive that at Laguna Seca. You were actually going to do that. Uh, yeah. had, got a little bit of a cold, if you will. Um, but frankly, I really thought about doing it, too. I was like... Just the way that car sort of captured the zeitgeist, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, and just how I remember it, you know, at that time, it would have been interesting kind of to go out on its final laps with it. So I think yeah, they I should. I think one. they should. I haven't driven one since the original, like right when it first came out. Yeah. And that thing, when that came out, like the attention you got, it yeah. was annoying to drive because mm -hmm. people would be like driving aggressively next to you to catch mm -hmm. up and take phone, to take uh, to take photos with their crappy flip phone cameras. Yeah. 
and it, it was a little annoying to drive on that. But the car in general was very much like Acura NSX 2.0. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the same good way sort to put of it. like it wasn't as expensive as all the other exotics. It was more practical and that it was like comfortable and like the interior controls were normal for an Audi. The trunk was teeny tiny. It was stupid. But uh, besides that, unlike the NSX, um, it was very much like that that modern like NSX 2.0. And not unlike the TT, they came up with something kind of like an instant classic. And then it's hard to move on from that. How do mm-hmm. you evolve that? And it didn't, you know, the mo- once the moment's done, it's done. You can't, you can't, you either needed to, the 911 only happens once. This, it was not a 911. And the desirability of it, it was more of an instant, like people wanted it now, but once they've seen it a lot, they don't want it anymore. Unlike a 911, which everyone's seen it, but it's excellence and it's just been around. Who knows? It's a unique situation, really, with the 911. So if they do a nine, if they do a sports car, I guess if it's not called an R8, I'm sure it'll be called the R9 e-tron. The R9, the R10, yeah. Right, and uh, yeah. I mean, you know, like an e-tron GT, if you made that two doors, yeah, I mean, that that could be a coupe, right? There's, there's, but that that's they're obviously going for something more than that. It'll be interesting to see where high-end sports cars go when they get electric, um, because we've seen it to the to some extent with remots, but we haven't really seen it, right? Like I, I live in a place surrounded by fancy people, of which I am not one, but I'm surrounded by them, and I have not seen one of those. So, all right. Well, let's go from the R8 to the 4C. I literally just saw one of these while I was driving. What was I driving? I was in the aforementioned M3. Um, it's been a long time since I've driven a 4C. I drove one. We had one for tech of the year testing in like 2015. And I drove it around. I don't know what the hell we were testing on that thing at that point. Maybe the engine. I don't know. Or the carbon fiber tub. And they were like, uh, our road test editor, not road test editor, what was he at the time? Whatever he was, Steve Ewing, managing editor, I think, or senior editor, I don't know. He's like, you want to Steven take- Ewing. His, exactly. His title, his title know, is just Steven Ewing at this and point. And he's back now. He's our free, one of our- Yay! You know, freelancing all the time for us, which is great. Um, he's like, do you want to take this thing home? And I'm like, no, I don't want to drive three and a half hours from around Petoskey to Metro Detroit. That's a bit of a hike in a car that's about an inch off the ground. It has an engine behind your ears. Um, so, yeah, I was like, yeah, hard pass. And I think I took like a, a Volt or a Lexus or something. Uh, I don't know. It sounds like a cop out, but it just was like, you know what? A car like that is good on a tracker in small doses, not for, you know, taking across the state in late October. Um uh, yeah, I actually drove one once in New York City, which so I've basically driven this car in two of the worst places you could possibly drive one. Um, New York City, Manhattan is not where you want to drive a 4C either. Let me put it that way. Uh, long story short, try to bring this all together here. After driving the MC20 from Maserati, I was like, damn, this is what they should have done a while ago because it makes me think of you know, Fangio and all those like Maserati guys and all these wins they claim from like, you know, the 1950s. They're like the 
I don't know, the Minnesota Golden Gophers of the automotive industry. Minnesota used to destroy everybody in college football. When's the last time they were good? Like 1937. Literally, that's it. And I think that's kind of how Maserati is. But you drive this thing, the MC20, and you're like, hey, this is awesome. This is pretty, this is great. Alpha needs to do something like that again, I think. I think, why not? You're Alfa Romeo. You got the Julia. That's beautiful. Stelvio, sure. Yeah. Okay, you're, you're playing in the crossover game because you can't sell 15,000 cars and be viable. Uh, but I think doing a Halo car for certain brands is is indeed valuable. So I think, hey, Alpha, if you want to bring back the 4C, please do. Um, who knows? Alpha is always making rumors. And, you know, I will say this, this concept thing they did show a while ago to me, that would be a better approach. I thought the 4C itself was just a little too sharp edge for maybe what people would really associate with Alfa Romeo. I mean, when were they ever really that, you know? And then they roll out this, like, you know, mid-engine thing that'll rip your head off. So, yeah, 4C, your turn. Yeah, I would say that in general, like, two-seat-only sports cars their appeal is minimal. I mean, there's yeah. a reason, even as you go up in price, like there's a reason Mercedes added the vestigial backseat to the SL. Mm -hmm. Like people, like you don't need a three row crossover thing, but just a modicum of extra practicality to throw a little bag in the back, to throw a little dog in the back. Like clearly there is functionality. I know that I own a Roadster and like I can't go places because I like there's just it's two people i can't bring my dog could definitely can't bring my son so like there's a practicality and judging by the vehicles that people drive today even like high dollar sports cars and stuff where people could easily just this is not their only car like practicality clearly matters people have become far more sensible here in the 21st century um kind of sadly it's a, it's a um but either way like a, some sort of they're gonna do some two seat tiny electric sports car i think it's going to be just as relevant as a 4c it'll need to be something different i mean the, i think the r8 kind of suffered from that too at least mm. with a 911 there is that back seat and you can and the convertible is also more practical and you know there's you know, that, that, that matters. Yeah. No, I mean, as somebody who's been trying to manage the logistics of driving uh, a two-seat supercar um, with a family, it's quite challenging. Let me put it that way. The MC20, you can do it as your daily driver, but you have one other seat. So pick your friend well, to go with you it's also it's also when you're going to drive it right yeah. like if you're going to go on a just a weekend trip with your wife oh that's annoying in a two-seat mm. like she ain't going to be happy <laughs> you might not be happy uh but like you just make it a little bigger there's a little back seat little tiny thing they're there for a reason people like them so what you're looking for is like um so maybe not the spider which arguably is Alpha's most iconic car. Are you thinking like a Montreal? That was a beautiful car. Uh, sure. I bet you would do like better. That. Yeah. Probably would do better. Wow. Yeah. 
they had the Montreal from 1970 to 77. Do you think they had a Trudeau edition at that point? <laughs> I don't know. Looking at the different alphas, it's it's quite a checkered history. I think they're actually they were on the right track with the Julia. Um, I drove a Julietta, uh, which was a fantastic mm. car to drive. They brought it over here to show off the benefits of diesel, and it was a stick shift, and it sort of became the dart. Um, back yeah. under that version, which really a lot got washed out in the wash, if you will, rinsed out in the wash, shrunk in the wash, whatever you want to say. Um, I mean, it had the underpinnings. The dart had the underpinnings of a Julietta. Mm -hmm. but that was the extent of the yeah. dart. That was one where like made good first impression, subsequent impressions, terrible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it died early for a reason. All right. Well, should we spend some money? Yeah, although is isn't this more of a someone has spent the money? That's a good point. After talking That's a good to point. us, That's, this is Joe writes. This is an update. He's written us a couple times. Hey Joe, thanks for always checking in. Uh, he basically was looking for a couple cars for his daughters. One he already uh, has taken care of that with uh, a VW, and now uh, another daughter is looking uh, for a car. And here is the update. I uh, thought I'd give you an up, uh, update on what happened. Things never go as planned, of course. He looked at elements. That was something that we sort of recommended. It was on his list. Thought the prices were ridiculous. Uh, so they moved to the Kia Soul. I don't think that was a terrible move. I really liked the Soul. It had character. I won't say and, it had soul. And to add from his original email, it was Soul and Elements. So obviously, you guys, whoever's mm -hmm. on the blog was talking about that. The other choices were the New Beetle, mm -hmm. uh, the Cube, the XB, the 500, the Fiat 500 in quote, nurse uniform green. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the Mini Cooper. So clearly small, funky yeah. cube things were on the table, but he looked at the element and Greg, what did he end up buying? Drum roll. This is kind of good actually here. We have the, let's see here, the Mazda MX-5 RF. This is the Grand Touring with the six-speed manual. Pretty cool, right? <laughs> he got his teenage daughter that car. What a great car Yay! to have for like high school and college. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be crap for getting your stuff to college, but the yeah. rest of the time, going to have fun. You know, it's uh, you're, no one's going to be able to drive it because it's a manual. So yeah. you know that none of your friends' kids are going to, or none of your kids' That's friends true. are going to run off with it. Um, yeah. The original safety device, a manual transmission. Mm -hmm. That's a really this good is, point. Don't yeah, bring your laundry home. Do the laundry at the dorms. So yeah. you're good, right? Yeah, that's that. This is a fantastic uh, choice. Um, you know, just you, when you when you do move, uh, you know, you just you can use the front seat and front uh, front or sorry, the passenger seat and the passenger seat well as mm -hmm. extra storage. I know this again, roadster guy, um, rinky dink trunk. But again, great. This is fantastic. This is great. I'd love to know why you went RF rather than regular um, convertible, but uh, otherwise maybe sound reasons. Um, yeah, but. I think the RF is a great looking car. I think hot takes some people, maybe myself included, depending on the color and the way you look at it, I think it might be better looking than the regular Miata. I really like those like stanchions in the back, the roof line. What's not to like? It's a beautiful car. 
it's cool. This is this is this is a wonderful this is a yeah. wonderful thing that's happened. So way not to I mean it's almost it's almost like you picked what we would have said uh, as useless people because normally yeah. Yeah. the joke is the answer is always Miata. Sometimes so, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So it's as if we were like, yeah, the elements fight, but would, have you considered a Miata? Yeah. As if that would be useful information. But you were like, we didn't say that, and yet you did it anyway. So good for you. That's well done, Joe. Well, let's all have let's have a nice like round of applause here for you. Yeah. Good job. We'll let uh, James Riswick there take us out, right? With the round of applause, hey. All right, so that's all the time we have this week. Congratulations, Joe. I think your family made a great pick here. That's going to be a car. We actually did a feature recently on the last car you'll ever have. It's pretty rare in your teenage years to get one of the last cars. That could qualify, I think. You got a sports car. You're like 16 or 17. You can drive it for the rest of your life if you wanted to. Will it be practical for certain phases? Definitely not. But, I mean, I haven't bought my sports car yet. So, congratulations, I guess. I would, I would hope that if she takes care of it, that at some point she will need something bigger. But you should, he should get it from her. Yeah. Keep it as for for special keeping, so that someday she can take it again, and would have would have the story of having this Miata forever. Um, you know, for like that's you know that's what I hope that. That, that scenario, because like being able to have like, that would be one word. I've had this Miata since I was in college. It's a pretty cool story. So, All right. Well, let's head on out. If you enjoy the show, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you might get the show. Uh, send us more Spend My Monies. If we've spent your money in the past and you have an update this good, we'd love to hear from you. That's podcast at autoblog.com. Thanks for hanging out with me, senior Mr. Road Test, uh, not Road Test, Mr. Luggage Test editor, James Riswick. We even mentioned a fair amount of Canadian topics, I guess, right? You know, we got the Montreal on there. That was pretty good. We'll see you next week. 